Hello and welcome back to the Agile Pubcast. I'm Jeff Watts and after our long summer hiatus, we're back for episode 51 from The Bell in Shirlington near Cheltenham. This episode, Paul and I talked about... What did we talk about? (laughs) This episode, Paul and I talked about whether you can be too nice as a scrum master and whether being nice has a virtue. We also used this episode to test live streaming over YouTube. I know, get us, 21st century. Anyway, enjoy. This is it, this is live now. People can see us. Look at that. Technology. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, are we yeah, recording as well? Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Is anyone watching us? Who knows? Oh, nobody at the moment. There's zero there. <laughs> so does that? No, but does that send a, like a tweet automatically? Then, so I think it will send a notification to all my subscribers oh. that we're live, and people will be then. I need to see a bit more of me. Hang on a bit. There we are. There we go. Hopefully, so, everyone can hear us. Hello, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Mmm. What you got? Mm. It's almost chewy. It was nice. Oh, <laughs> it's just a little bit thicker than I was expecting. It's called Jail Ale. I think it's a Dartmoor. Dartmoor? I think it was. Dartmoor Ale. I think it's so. my neck of the woods. Devon, Devonshire. Mmm. It's nice. So, yeah, so people can see now. It's quite a red. Red ale colour, non IPAs, nice warm, sort of room temperature, bit of a nice head on that, bit, bit of toffee in there. Bit nutty. Mm-hmm. Nutty, nice. Like that. Nice. Yeah. And you've got. I've got um, Thatcher. It's, it's Thatcher's cider. It's, it's called Stan, isn't it? It's just Stan's. called Stan. Stan's mm-hmm. cider, which is lovely. How is that different to the other Thatcher's mm. ciders? Well, it's, it's, it's cloudier. Okay. Um, but not as cloudy as haze, presumably. No, it's, it's not a. Yeah, it's, it's it's quite sweet, which is good. It's actually quite. I don't know if it's supposed to be, but it's, it's not very cold. Whether it's supposed okay. to be like a water, room temperature cider, but it's all right. It hits the spot. Yeah. All right. Well, we're at the Bell in Sherlington. Uh, it's a little bit, of, almost like a trip down memory lane. And I lived a few houses down from this pub many years ago when I was a teenager. So this is Chel- mm. kind of Cheltenham area with yeah. Cheltenham postcodes. So on the outskirts of Cheltenham. Yeah. And it's got a nice, it's an old English pub. And it's got a cricket square just out the back yeah. where I've played both cricket and football in my past. So uh, yeah, it's a, we've had a nice chef special. A little bit of a meal, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Very nice. Came together. First time since the summer break. We, had a, we have a viewer. We have a viewer. Hello, viewer. Hello. <laughs> Cheers. Mm. Do they send us messages? <coughs> I don't know. I have no, I have no idea. We've got a like. There you what go. This is technology. Amazing. No idea whether it works or not. But uh, yeah, this is a reward for the YouTube subscribers. Is it a, an exclusive? An exclusive, yeah. Nobody else will get to see this. We're not going to save it for, for future benefit. You have to be here or that's it. Yeah. But maybe we'll try it again next time. See, <laughs> see how it goes. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. So how's your summer been? Busy. Quick catch up. Yeah. So yeah, I've had a nice long break over the summer. 
a lot of family time. Yeah. A lot of um, not a lot of work. Good. Um, so the benefit of being self-employed is that um, I can take a lot of time off when I need to. Oh, it's Tony Richards. Hello, Tony. Is it cold in that pub? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're wearing jumpers, Tony. It's um, it is cold. It's, oh, it's autumnal. Yeah. You look very yeah. We've got a kind of a woolly sweater, fisherman's yeah, jumper. Hoodie. It's more. I could wear this to work. <coughs> I didn't really wear that to work. No, that's true. No. Um, yeah. So back to me. Um, took some time off. Went to Canada. 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 I think that's um, how it's pronounced. Yeah. And that was it. so. Yeah, we took a long summer holiday with the kids. Four weeks total, just under four weeks. Three of those weeks in a camper van, which was good. Good fun. Mm-hmm. Outdoor, proper outdoorsy holiday. Kids loved it, and um, different place more or less every day. And it's just nice to, you know, kind of clear my calendar. Basically, try not to look at too many emails and mm-hmm. just. Uh, we, you weren't able, able to switch off completely. No, I couldn't. No, unfortunately not. My wife wouldn't let me. She wouldn't. Uh, she keeps. She tells me to check in. So no, I, I do. I checked in a, a, every few days or so just to. To the world wasn't burning. Mm, yeah, to keep checking on things, emails and stuff. But no, it was, it was nice to. I like the outdoors. It was nice just to be able to to, to be outdoors pretty much all day every day. Mm. You like the outdoors, don't you? Yeah, so and, and this is one of the things I miss most about having the, the type of job that I do have is that, unfortunately, I, I have to spend a lot of time indoors. Mm. So um, it's nice to just to get outside and uh, walk around and walk up hills, walk down hills. My kids hated that. Did they? Kids hated the hills. Hated walking, <laughs> generally. So <laughs> just um, not used to it. No. <clears throat> Little but, legs But as well. we forced them, we forced them. The, the, the walks got shorter as the holiday went on because okay. the kids moaned. More. Did they get better? Did they enjoy it more? Or were no, they... Yeah, um, they got, they got. It's amazing how, as the holiday went on, when they didn't have access to things that they would have had at home, like phones, mm. iPads, TVs, they just forgot about them. They just completely forgot that they had what was on television. They just, yeah. they just made. They'd go out outside the camper van and just make dens. You know, you've got the for- you've got a beautiful forest all the way around you. You've got a lake you can swim in for nothing. Just go and enjoy the outdoors. So it was. Reminds me of my time on the island. Yeah, it was. It probably wasn't quite as basic as what you were doing no, on the island, but, but it was. Still. No flush toilets, Jeff. So. <coughs> that's, that's, yeah. I'll let you come to your own conclusions there if you're listening in. So um, yeah, yeah. It seems like I've seen you for a while. What What's been, happened? What you've been up to? <laughs> Uh, holiday, yeah, holiday, and breaking news: the Watts family is expanding. Yeah, go on. Huge age gap. <laughs> Getting back into the parenting game. You're going to have another baby. We're going to, yeah, we have another baby. Yeah. T-shirts printed. 16, 12. Yes, it is a big age gap. <laughs> uh, and underneath, not an accident. No, okay. But yeah, quite scary. There's a lot of hashtags. Pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah. When's the due? February. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, 2019 is going to be an interesting year. Busy year. Busy year. Not a lot of sleep for you though. Well, there's nothing new there really. <laughs> I haven't really got a sleeping habit to be broken, so no. that's a good thing or not. We should always just say congratulations, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers. So yeah, that's taken up most of the summer really, trying to keep that secret. Um, and do a little bit of planning without planning too much. Yeah. It's just a long time since you've done all that stuff, really. 
I'm sure you, won't, you won't, surely you don't forget these Hopefully things. it's like riding a bike, you'll yeah. come back to yeah. you. You, you, you don't forget, you've done, you've done brought up two kids successfully, you, a third won't be a problem. So yeah, that's, that was mostly the summer, and yeah, back to work for the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, and back to it. It's been a while since we've done one of these, isn't it? Yeah, we, we did say we were going to have a little break over the summer, which we did. Some time apart. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'd yeah, like to say it. that everybody's been clamouring <laughs> for us to start again, but we haven't really had much. No. Uh, but hey, there we go. We, we'll carry on. Maybe they didn't know what it was, what they were missing until it's back. Tony's again. here. Tony's listening. Yeah. Love you, Tony. The we, we we could have a topic. I got I got a twi- I got a Twitter message yesterday. Right. From somebody saying this would be a good topic for a pubcast. Um, so maybe we maybe we tackle that. Go for it. I need to remember what it is. And of course now my phone is recording, so I can't access, access, after message, access, access the memory banks. Yeah. Uh, it's from Rich Birch, who is actually one of our loyal followers, one yeah. of our loyal listeners. Yeah. And he, he was asking a question, uh, I may get the words wrong, but hopefully I get the sentiment right, in how likeable should you be as a scrum master? How easy to get on with should you be as a scrum master? Uh, should you push? How far should you push? Right thing, and there were yeah. a few responses. I mean, some people were quite adamant in saying, "No, you should really be a troublemaker, uh, be really provocative." You know, if you're not kicking up a stink, you're not doing a good job. Right. Some people saying you, know, you can only push as far as as you can, otherwise everything can backfire. Uh, and he asked me for my opinion. My opinion was on. I'm I'm, I'm quite a big fan of scrum masters provoking change. But a dead scrum master is a useless scrum master. So I talk a lot about how, in my book, about scrum masters being tactful and diplomatic and respectful, but never settling for things just because that's the way they are. Mm-hmm. Part of your part of your responsibility, I believe, is to keep the ball moving, even yeah. if it's just slowly, just keep it moving. What are your thoughts? I'm trying to think of <coughs> trying to think of how. How I used to do, well, how I see myself as a scrum master. I think scrum master or not, I like, I like to at least think that people like me. That's a big part of my personality, my what drives me. Okay. Um, and on the whole, I do make an effort to try, try and get on with people. Um, try and enjoy the work environment mm-hmm. and that's obviously that's a lot harder if you're de- if you're deliberately or even accidentally upsetting people or uh, um, disagreeing with people mm-hmm. so I think that's a general personality trait and that's probably what I my natural stance is to try and not be nice I wouldn't say be nice but be be civil yeah and be pleasant um, to be around, um, but there, there's, I think there does, does come times the way you have to you have to dig dig your heels into it to a degree. I think of times in Nokia when looking at, looking back at the time when I did things based on principle that I thought I was being nice. I was being nice to my team. But I wasn't being. It, it then backfired on other people outside that team. And Such as? So, <clears throat> in a situation where I wanted my team to work to leave work at a reasonable hour on mm-hmm. a Friday afternoon, 
I, I allowed them I said we're all going to leave now. Yeah. We're, we're going I'm, I've, I've got a young family I want to go home I don't see why you should stay here and later than me let's go yeah, yeah. let's go home <coughs> that put um, a lot of people viewed that quite negatively I got a lot of um, funny looks when I came back in the office on Monday put a few no- noses out of joint on the Monday morning and my boss had words with me about it saying you're not setting a good example here because other people did have to stay late Friday and come in on Saturday but your your team didn't. Yeah. So what well, I think it can it can backfire. If you're being too nice, yeah. That can have consequences. Um, but I, I think generally I tried just for purely for my own job satisfaction, I tried to be so can you you can be respected without being liked, is that fair? Yeah I think so. I think it's more important to be respected than to be liked. And then you you were saying a little bit about being civil. Yeah. I think you can be civil and still challenge. You can be civil and you can still be provocative, you can still stir things. For me I think authenticity is important. Yeah. So integrity, yeah. If you if you if you're staying true to yourself, who you are then you can you can challenge because that's the kind of challenge that's expected of you. Yeah. Uh, I think expectations are important as well. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm working with a team and the team expect the scrum master to be a bit of a you know provocateur, someone who, who yeah. will challenge them, then that's obviously easily accepted. It can take time to build up the rapport, the relationship to the level that um, you know, you can do that in an effective way. But if I'm not naturally someone who challenges, and yet mm. at some point out of the blue I come to work and I start being really provocative, yeah. that's not authentic. I'm, I'm, no. and, it, and it will seem inauthentic, it will just jar with the people that I'm working with. I think that's something that puts people's noses out. But equally, I suppose, the fact that I'm do- it's got to a stage where I feel I have to act outside of my normal state mm. would perhaps increase that sense of this is important this is urgent mm. aren't you also more likely to reflect the attitudes the personalities of the people around you isn't this that there's a there's a the longer you bec- you're embedded in that team are you more likely if you're, if you're for instance surrounded by a group of very nice people that are very polite yeah. wouldn't say wouldn't want to upset anyone in any way you're that's you're in that in that will you assume a lot of those personality traits or do you think and, and you it wouldn't become culturally as accepted to be different I suppose there is a risk of that conversely I found my my role was kind of fluid in that I would try and adopt the stance that the team needed of me then. But it takes quite a bit of self-awareness to realise that you're going native, yeah. as the term might be. Um, but I, I certainly suffered from that in BT, where you became part of the uh, part of the institution. Yeah. There was a question. There was a question coming from how to access it. We'll find it. But certainly in BT, there was, you felt, and I was aware, and maybe sometimes it was it was people that had left that told me you don't want to become, in, you know, don't want to become part of the system. Yeah. You start suddenly start to check yourself, saying, "Am I even saying the right things? Am I, am I not seeing what I should be seeing now? Am, mm-hmm. I, am I not saying what I should be saying because I've just accepted the way that th- things go here?" Yeah. Uh, 
and link that to something that I, I think I brought up before. It's it's, a, it's it's something outside of the realm of Scrum itself, but something that I think has been a big part of what I've been pushing for a while, which is to bring more of the professional coaching world into the agile coaching yeah, world yeah. and that is it's quite hard to notice that yourself yeah it can also be quite hard for the team to notice it because you're in the middle of it so having someone neutral a supervisor a buddy yeah. a pair a peer yeah. mentor whatever you want to call it who who can keep you honest who you can reflect objectively with yeah on situations am i being a bit too nice here yeah and that 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 professional coaching supervision coaching the coach could actually help you understand well, what what is going on for you when you, know, you say being liked is important to you, yeah. and how, at what point is that helping you, and at what point is that not helping you? So, are you, when you do have a conflict, when you do challenge somebody, when you do pull somebody up on something, yeah, the feeling you get, name it, yeah, and analyze it, and figure out whether that's valuable. Mm. Yeah. Tony, can you ask that question again and we'll we'll read it this time. He's typing away frantically. I'm trying to think so another situation more recently that I've been coaching and training another organization, another team. I I picked up on my my instinctive reaction was you're all being too nice. Yeah. There was a situation that they came to me with. Okay, we've got this situation, this problem, and nobody's dealing with it because yeah. because nobody wants to offend, nobody wants to. And I kind of asked them the question: Well, what what do you think a different scrum master? How would a how would a textbook scrum master approach this? And they gave me a very different answer okay. as to what they would do. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like um, I think people do try and maybe too much sometimes if everyone else is being nice it's harder to be cruel this is morphing into giving effective feedback yeah could be I'm, I'm at risk of that filtering my view because I know I've, I've got a workshop coming up with a team next week on that topic yeah um, this team haven't had a lot of experience or practice of giving and receiving feedback as a team yeah. they want to develop that as a skill and having the language tools and having the communication tools to help them do that. Yeah. I was actually I did a workshop yesterday, and part of that was uh, about creating a vision. Yeah. So a group of product owners they're working with different products, and so we got them. To, I gave them some tools and techniques for creating visions, and then they, they, they had to then share that with other people and get some feedback on it. And it was interesting that the, the feedback aspect of it was was the biggest eye opener. Yeah. In that you know, they'd never really felt comfortable giving feedback to each other. Yeah. But the fact that I given them a structure, in this case it was the perfection game, yeah. they felt then they had permission to to give balanced feedback yeah. and, and it didn't feel as personal yeah. and I think sometimes that, that can be a big thing for in these situations in an organisation, if, if I try something, if I, if I push the boundaries, are, are the people whose boundaries I'm pushing viewing that as me doing that or my role doing that? Yeah. 
or something else. Yeah. I think they're, yeah. That's why it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to be that scrum master that, I think in many respects being a, embedding yourself as a scrum master is, is a vital part of the role, but at other times it can be a hindrance. Yeah. Because you can't be as neutral. So, so for instance, it's so easy for me to go, go in as an external agile coach to say, I've noticed that just from what I've seen here that that's, that probably needs addressing. Yeah. It's much harder to, to, to do that when you when you are part of that system, when you are part of that team. And maybe this I may, I know in BT and in Nokia we used to rotate people around like you suggest, buddy up or just literally just shift the scrum masters around one team each. Not do it all the time, but one, one sprint in three, you'd all... Just keep it fresh. You would all just um, facilitate someone else's retro, just to give you a more neutral and to give you a different perspective on how other teams are doing. Yeah, I think it's quite. That's become quite common. I think a lot of a lot of organisations have scrum master communities to you know, coach and support each other and challenge each other. Yeah, and that's that's the place to get started. I think if you can't challenge yourself as a group of scrum masters, how can you expect to challenge other people? Mm. Who should be able to understand and empathise with, with the difficult position you're in. So that's practice it, really, mm. I think. Um, a lot of it's down to fear mm. fear of consequences. You know, are people going to judge me? How are people going to react? We, again, we tend to perhaps over overanalyze and over dramatize the potential consequences often it's the reaction is nowhere near as severe or as bad as we think no. um, and, and so just thinking it through that way can help yeah Tony yeah. yeah. did send you a message on, on yeah. your whatsapp can't get the question back but um, so th I think it was something so there was something uh, Rich Birch followed up with you know where where's the line yeah and how do you know where the line is uh, and I think that that line moves it's context dependent so it depends on the maturity of the team the, the maturity of the organisation I think the strength of the relationships the amount of respect that you've built up as a scrum master our old boss Den used to talk about money in the bank didn't he goodwill how much goodwill have you built up with people because every now and again you might need to cash that in either because you've made a mistake or you, you, know, you need a favour you need some help or perhaps in this case you need to just be quite provocative yeah um, I know I've uh, certainly found it easier to be provocative when I first started at Nokia because I felt I don't know whether you feel um, untouchable or whether it's just a false level of security but when I joined the company I had enthusiasm and I, was, yep. and I also had a, a different experience to, and a comparison to make so I was more, I felt as um, as empowered as I ever had to just say, I don't think we should do it that way. Okay. So this sense of invulnerability when I join, maybe perhaps probably when I'm, I'm at my most vulnerable is, is actually when I just start, because they could just actually, you're not cut out for this. Yeah. But you but don't then, really feel that vulnerable. So it's a bit of a strange, strange analogy. Maybe I shouldn't use it. But the start of a the start of a sports match, the referee's less likely to book you because he's not. Yeah. And you have almost that grace period, and also you have that that kind of magical appearance. You're someone who's come from outside. You're going to bring something here, and the team are kind of expecting things from you. Yeah. The, the organisation has hired you for a reason. They obviously hired you because you can add something. So yeah. Show me what you've got. And, yeah. Um, You're willing to. So there's that that sort of grace honeymoon period at the start, and also perhaps a little bit towards the end, 
of your time there where you think, well, what's the worst that can happen? I'm probably going to leave anyway. I'm going to go down in flames if, if, if nothing else. It's, it reminds me of an interesting question that we ask sometimes in our courses, one of your coaching questions. If this was your last day in the office, yeah. what would you say now that you wouldn't say before? And just trying to give that, just that, that artificial, if you like, uh, that mask of saying, if you did have permission to do anything here, carte blanche, what, what would you do? And then work back from that to say, okay, so is any elements of that actually um, possible. true or, or, or possible? Or yeah. we could work towards. Yeah. I, li I do like that one. If, it, if this was your last day in the company, what would you do then? Yeah. Or if you knew there would be absolutely no consequences to your actions, what would you do then? Yeah. Um, similar kind of vein, other questions, like if, if there was going to be a report written up about the decision you make right now, what would be the, the what would you like them to highlight? What would, that, what would you like that report to say? Yeah. Um, I think those, those are good hypothetical questions to help people think through what they would actually like to do. Mm. I, I, when, when the question popped up on the screen, I heard what is I saw what is the role, but I didn't, there was a lot of other words in there as well. So I'm gonna I'm gonna guess Second what the rest of that question was from Tony. I think it was something along the lines of so then what what is the true role of the scrum master? Is it to provoke change or is it to create a sense of safety is it consolidation that's what I'm going to interpret mm. okay. and yeah because a lot I think it's yeah there's this, I think it's probably double-sided here so I think firstly I think a scrum master from my point of view has to my primary if I was being hired as a scrum master my primary concern is the team first of all first and foremost my primary responsibility is, is the team growing is the team as productive as it can be so I'd work internally first of all and to do that I probably would develop rapport because if you want people to go with you on a new way of working you need a sense of rapport a sense of respect probably yeah. But I think it changes then. I think once you've developed that and you've you've established relationships and you've established a way of working, you can kind of you don't change your personality slightly, but you would just approach different challenges in different ways. And you probably are going to then come back across people that you haven't worked with very often, that you do have to perhaps be a bit more firm with. Um, that may, that probably would challenge you in a different way and then I think you do have to subtly work back to perhaps more of an educational stance by saying look okay you're not here, this, you're not hearing me right now we should do it this way yeah this is going to be a good thing to do I can think of an example in Nokia when um, I had a fairly well established or I was fairly well established as a scrum master by then with one team and I wanted to go back to my boss to suggest that we merge two teams together to make a feature team. And I just had to convince, really, my boss with that this is the right thing to try. Even though it was completely um, new, it would mean tearing two teams up and starting again. And yeah, I, I didn't want to be too nice about it. I was trying to be a bit more authoritative about it, I suppose, saying that... Did your team want that? No. Okay, not really. So I was, I was prepared to go out on a bit of a limb 
They're saying, my, I fundamentally believe that this is a good thing to do. And what, what pushed you then, if you think the team wasn't going to be happy about it, what pushed you to the point where you were prepared to do it, even though your team didn't, wouldn't like it? I suppose just, I believe, I, I just firmly believe that it, it couldn't, I suppose it couldn't be any worse. <laughs> In terms of, I don't see how this can be any, we will be any worse off by trying this, at least trying this out. Okay. Um, just a, 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 a passion for, as a, when, you, when you introduce the word passion, because sometimes passion can, can create animosity, people think, oh, he's just so passionate about it, okay. Ad, you know, kind of evangelistic. evangelistic about it, and that's when I think sometimes even coaches get a bad name because they're, oh, you're being too evangelical about this, but is yeah. that always a bad thing? Sometimes you, that might be what's absolutely required to try something new. Yeah, yeah. So there was, you saw things getting worse, and you thought, the way things are at the moment aren't good, well, they, they might be better. get better, but they couldn't get worse, yeah. and you, you also said about trying it, proof of concept, so you know, removing the, the extremity, removing the scale of, of, of the situation, yeah. so we only have to try it rather than do it, which yeah. can make it a little bit easier to do something, yeah. and equally a little bit more, a little bit easier for other people to go along with it, you know? yeah. would you be willing to try this for a fixed period of time, mm. with the hope that this will happen? But if it doesn't happen, then we can always go back. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a pretty good, pretty good strategy. And it comes back to humility as well. I think you can again try not to. You don't have to be light bulb, but you've got to be prepared to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And not to be so belligerent that your word is the final word. You can still be direct, and you can still be. Um, you know, quite passionate about it, but you, there's a still equally there's a chance. That, you know, I, all being said, I, I could be wrong about this. Yeah. I could be, I could. Uh, I'm prepared to be proved wrong. I think that's, that's that's an important thing to pick apart a little bit more, actually. So in terms of where that line is, yeah. that Richard's saying, on the one hand, if you if you can see something that's probably for the team's benefit that they might not be open to right now, there that could be perceived as a little bit of arrogance. Yeah, yeah I can see something that you can't see. Um, or my idea is better than your current status quo. Yeah. Which can be quite difficult for some people to to actually step up and say. Uh, but equally you want so you need to be a little bit confident in your own assessment yeah. without being arrogant. But equally humble enough to not make people think, see I told you you were wrong and yeah. be so confident that people want you to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Even at their expense. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, someone, um, one of the one of the responses on Twitter, like I said, was for, it was very much quite happy and, and proud and very confident that actually you know their approach of deliberately being quite getting provocative, getting people's backs up. You know, if I'm not make, making a fuss, then I'm not doing my job properly. Um, and there's a, there's a big part of me that really sort of leans towards that bit of a troublemaking background myself quite like that but I can see how that could end in disaster quite quickly Mm. Um, so it requires a lot of either a lot of security or a lot of support Um, and so my my general response was as long as you can challenge with empathy with respect with tact and diplomacy with positive intent 
then generally people will will be receptive to it. They'll listen to you. So just to pick up on where Rich is going with this and some of the responses you had, something I'm perhaps a bit a bit um, conscious of and wary of is I don't like the idea that a scrum master necessarily, and I think this could well be the case in some organisations, where scrum masters become a feared entity. Feared by whom? Feared by teams. Okay. Like you mentioned the word trouble, troubleshooter, or you probably didn't even troublemaker. troublemaker. But they could quite easily be perceived as people that you don't want to cross, you don't want yeah. necessarily to be too well um, acquainted with, possibly. Yeah. If, they've got, if they've developed a reputation in the company, we can think of people in BT that would be high, parachuted in to fix oh, yeah, yeah. broken, and they were seen though as bullies, as, as kind of dominating kind of uh, these um, characters that you would never cross, you never, yeah. never question what they say. But you d as a scrum master, you do want people to question you. You do want to grow that sense of um, learning within a team. Yeah, you and there's a danger that if you become that character that people do fear. That troubleshoot to that that, um, that firefighter, whatever you want to call it, this kind of go-to trouble troubleshooter. What was the Harvey Keitel character in Pulp Fiction? Oh, the Mr. Wolf. Yeah, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Wolf. Yeah. He's, he was the fixer, wasn't he? Exactly. Mm. But there's this air of, do you really want to be that persona that everyone? I wouldn't even say anything to dare, dare say anything to you directly. No, I think that's authentic authenticity again, isn't it? I think I, that just wouldn't come naturally to me, do this because I say so. Um, and so if I... Well, is that charisma that goes with it then? Do you think you need charisma? I think charisma is a separate separate thing. It's, it's definitely part of it. But I think that, that um, if I were to... I think there are people that that comes naturally to. Mm. And you can kind of respect that in a way. And you can almost tolerate it in a way because you think, well, that's just them. Mm. It's, it becomes less effective over time. Mm. And it's probably not a good long-term strategy in terms of developing yeah. resilience and self-management and, and that. But that equally, that could get you respect. If you see results really quickly, yeah. you know, if I'm a team and someone's come in yeah, who's a little bit more proactive than me and you who are just there to make friends and be yeah. nice. It could you get your respect from different people, from yeah. different parts of the organisation. It could get your recognition. Um, if you, and one of the things I used to say was if you want respect from a team is you solve their biggest impediment, you, you, you mm -hmm. solve the biggest problem they're currently having. That can gain respect. On, on an organisational level, you solve the organisation's biggest impediment. That can get you respect from the organisation. Mm -hmm. So that can help, but I can see how it also could, could create a bit of a, um, a fear around um, how, how nasty you could, Mr. Nasty, you could mm. be. Yeah. Because your, your desire to be nice and be, be liked by your teams ever caused that particular team any problems? Well, um, yeah, I can, yeah. I can't say, give you evidence, but I can hypothesize it has. Like with that whole idea of leaving early, you see five, five members of a team walk out of the office together. They meet up with someone two hours later who's been in the office for extra two hours. They're, surely they, surely they would. How, how how come you can manage to leave at five today? But that's, we were all kept in late. So that's affected the people that didn't leave. Yeah. 
but but surely that's put, that's put made them feel bad about that. If they, Maybe, if they, they were prepared, if the, if the, yeah, if the social, if the socially accepted way, um, yeah. way of working was to stay late and they left early, they'd feel uncomfortable about that. Maybe, yeah. So I, I'm thinking of um, some of the teams that I've worked in the past where they they've made some progress, they've developed, but actually they're in a sort of comfort zone now. So they've, they've kind of got their process pretty good and uh, things are going quite well but you know it can still improve quite a bit do you then rock the boat do you risk mm. you know, creating a bit of tension a bit of upset a bit of friction a bit of stress because you know that team can get even better or yeah. do you just bubble along quite nicely and I think not being someone who challenges the team in that situation is, is selling that team short mm -hmm. but they won't see it that way probably to begin with and that's that's that challenge of I guess humility and belief mm. in the team mm. good question I guess in the way that I would I typically tackle that now is I would genuinely ask the team where where they think they were in terms of the best teams that they've seen the best teams that they've been part of, would they say that they were at the top, or you know, maybe a, a 5 out of 10, a 6 out of 10, a 7 out of 10, and ask them how much would they like to, to get even better than they are right now? Um, I think there has to be a desire from that team, because mm. usually in my experience, by the time you've got the team, or the team themselves have got to that point, they are generally one of the better teams in the organisation, yeah, yeah. so you could quite rightly spend a lot more time focused on the the lower performing teams or the less functional teams yeah <coughs> good have we, have we, I, don't know, I don't know whether we've got closure on that or not I think it's what was the original question should you be should you be nice should how be? nice to be yeah can you be too nice I think you can be too nice uh, I think a, a scrum master is not at their most effective if they are worried about being liked too much. If they're prepared to be un not, not liked. Disliked. And I think you can be disliked while still being respected and respectful. Yeah, and maintain your integrity. Yeah. 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 It's about, we, you're not, um, we've said this before about labelling people. Mm -hmm. And you can still, um, I'm guilty of this sometimes with my kids of saying, you're not Jocelyn, sorry Jocelyn, you're a naughty girl, but she's yeah. not, she's just being naughty. Yeah. So you can be, you can be nice, but I'm a nice person, but sometimes I'm just being not nice, mm. you know what I mean? Well the phrase being cruel to be kind is, yeah. is there for a reason, right? Sometimes people need to hear the message that, it was actually one of the, one of the responses to that Twitter thread was, yeah. If, if someone doesn't like what they see in the mirror, they can't blame the mirror. Yeah. So if you're as a scrum master simply holding the mirror up and saying, that this is what I'm seeing, I'm not judging it, I'm just, just playing and reflecting back what I can see. Are you happy with that? If not, what help do you need to change it? Then then they can't really... I suppose when you, when you let judgment leak into it, that's where it can become... Yeah. That's something we've always said is make observations, not judgments. judgments. Yeah. Make powerful observations. No one can criticise you for making an observation. Mm. Well, they can. But they, they have less right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. They can't deny the objective data. They can deny your subjective interpretation. Yeah. 
But at the time, it, as you get more respect and you build that relationship, actually some people will be looking for your judgment, they will be looking for your interpretation, and to some degree to an unhealthy level. Yeah. Um, I don't want to do this in case Paul disapproves. Well, sorry, but screw Paul's interpretation. If you know that it's the right thing to do, yeah. actually maybe they need to do something that would upset you yeah. in order to become the better team. We're back. That's it, yeah. Good, good chat. I've got to re-engage my brain after... Uh, Oh, I've been back a couple of weeks, so I guess a bit of head start. You're still jet lagged, I am. Worst jet lag I've ever had. Three I came across three three time zones. Is that all? Yeah, three time zones. I think it is. I changed my clock twice when I was away. Okay. So flew back from Vancouver, so that's Pacific time. So yeah. eight hours difference is an absolute killer. West to east. Is a beast. You've done that a lot more than I do. <laughs> yeah, it was the worst jet lag I've ever had. Terrible. Anyway, anyway, on that note, thanks to thanks to our live stream viewers. Yes. Well done for turning up, all of you. <laughs> and yeah, let's see how it went. Get some feedback on that. Cheers. 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 Cheers, everyone.